You may be seated. A couple of things. Uh, there is a welcome lunch immediately following this service today. We'll get started about 1230 in the fireside room. If you're somebody who is relatively new to us, it could be that your first time here today, or it could be that you've been coming here for a couple of months. It could be that you come here for six months, whatever it's been. And uh, we haven't had a chance to have a welcome lunch with you. We would love to have you come. Um, we will probably spend about an hour and a half or so together this afternoon. And uh, love to have you be part of that. Just meet in that room at about 1230 or so. On June 23rd, we've already mentioned some of this, but we will go to one service on that day. It'll be the first uh, service of the summer where we go to, to just one service, 930 uh, for kind of instrumental devotional time, and then our service will start at 10 o'clock. And uh, please be aware of that. There's also a picnic that day. Great Lakes Christian uh, High School course is going to be here that day. It's going to be a full day. We're going to have a chance to sign up for ministries and get ready for the fall. And so I encourage you to be here definitely for that day and be ready for it. Next week is Showcase Sunday. That'll happen in between the two services. So be aware of that as well. Come and encourage our children's ministry and our kiddos. They've been preparing for you to present something, and I hope you can come and encourage them by being here between the services next week. And then uh, I wanted to mention, most of us already know, it's been uh, sent out by email, that Dana Rippenhagen's mother, Mary Saloom, uh, passed away this week. Mary was battling cancer. She has been for quite some time. And, uh, and I know that the Rippenhagen's family is uh, heartbroken about Mary's loss, so we want to pray for the Rippenhagen family and also for the saloons. Why don't you bow with me right now, and we'll do that. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask rich blessings today upon Miles and Dana and their girls and their extended family. Father, we pray that you'd bless them with a comfort and a peace that only you can provide. We pray that we would be there as a church family in blessing them. Uh, help us to minister where we need to. Just encourage them and I know they're encouraged by the fact that Mary knew you, but God, we would pray that, that you would still their hearts at a time where grief is so evident. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen. I would love it if you would turn in the Bible underneath the seats or in your own Bible to Galatians chapter 5. It's on page 826 if you're looking in the Bible underneath the seats. And we're going to look today at a pretty famous passage, one that most of us are pretty familiar with also. We've been going through this series on called to be free from the book of Galatians. And today, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. And really, I, I say we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. We're actually going to spend a lot of time looking at the verses before that as well. And try and set all of this in the context that it needs to be set in. And so make sure that you're looking at your Bible so that you can see what's going on with this today. One of the problems is that there are some significant mistakes that can be made with this very famous passage about the fruit of the Spirit. For example, we make a mistake if we think that this passage and the elements of the Spirit's, fr uh, Spirit's fruit is found only here. Like if we were to just talk about fruit of the Spirit and say, well, that's in Galatians 5.22, and just say, ah, that's, that's it, all there is. We would actually miss a lot of places in the New Testament that mention 
the same kind of things. Not exactly calling them fruit of the Spirit. It's not worded exactly the same in every place. But there are definitely many passages in the New Testament that talk about this very thing. And you can look, for example, at Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And there are virtues there listed for what it means to be Christian. And we, we'll see some of those, uh, those virtues definitely discussed today. It's also a mistake if we take the fruit of the Spirit as being plural. And I know what Galatians 5.22 says. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the fact is that the fruit of the Spirit is only one fruit. Those things are all elements of this one fruit. And so this is much more a lifestyle than it is a, a number of different things that represent many fruits. It is one cohesive Life lived in Christ. And I think that Michael, I don't know that Michael put it exactly like this last week, but he probably said something like this, that we are to walk as those transformed by the Spirit, meaning that our fleshly nature with us since the fall has been overcome through faith in Christ. And this really is so much the point of this whole section. In fact, I was telling the first service, Michael really got the cream in the crop. Like I I really wanted to preach Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18 or so. In fact, that's the only reason I even wanted to preach the book. No, I'm not kidding. I'm kidding about that. But I really wanted to preach Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and Michael got it. So we're just going to do it again today. No, no, we won't. But it's a great section of Scripture. And I really encourage it to dwell on 13 through 18 in Galatians chapter 5, and see how the Spirit is contrasted there with the flesh. This is so much what these verses are about, Spirit and flesh, and how do we live the way that Jesus wants us to live. Well, we could also talk about a third kind of problem, and that is if we isolate the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 from its context. We don't want to do that either. In fact, that, one of the mistakes that people make is that they're, they go around quoting Galatians 5.22 because it's so quotable, and we all know what the fruit of the Spirit is, and we mention it to our kids, we teach it to them in Bible classes, the fruit of the Spirit of these, and teachers have all kinds of wonderful ways of teaching that. But then it gets kind of taken out of its context, and, and we just focus on those specific virtues as virtues instead of thinking about the entire passage and especially the way that the Spirit is supposed to work in us, a new lifestyle. So that's really what we're going to focus on this morning. But before we get there, we're going to read these verses. And notice, before you ever get to the fruit of the Spirit, there is this strong passage about what it means to live according to the flesh. We're going to talk about that as well here. So look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now that's quite a list. Uh, it's interesting uh, just how many things Paul lists here. At the same time, he doesn't list everything, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but he certainly lists a lot of things here. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is a little bit scary, perhaps, but we'll talk about that too. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And because this is such an important passage, I, I, I want to pray before we jump into the, the real content here of these verses. Would you pray with me, please? Holy Father, I pray that you'd bless us this morning as we look at, at these important words about what it is that you're wanting to do in our lives through your Son and Spirit. God, we want to be people who exemplify you at every point in our lives. Sometimes we fail. We recognize that. But we want to live for you. And we pray that through your Spirit, you would enable us to do so. We pray these things today through Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm not going to go through point by point every one of these vices that are in verse 19. It's not hard, really, to understand what all of these are. One thing that's interesting about them is how some of them we take to be so awful, something like witchcraft or sexual immorality or orgies or something, and then some of them we tend to say, eh, not so significant. Like, for example, uh, dissensions. We actually have dissension at some level, I suppose, almost all the time. There are always disagreements, and people within the church often disagree with each other, but it's not very often that we think to ourselves, oh no, we disagree with each other, clearly we're of the flesh, this is a disaster because we're being so sinful. Where on the other hand, if we catch someone in adultery, or if there's a real problem with witchcraft or something like that, we would be very quick to act on those particular sins. So it's just interesting the way there is some variance here in terms of uh, the way that we treat these. But here are some other things that I think are interesting when it comes to this passage. Like, for example, if you look at verse 19 and it talks about the acts of the sinful nature, is that singular or is that plural? The acts of the sinful nature. We we have a university student here right now. David, is the word acts singular? Is the word acts plural? It's plural. He's an educated man. Way to go, David. Yeah, indeed, the word acts is plural. But as I've already mentioned, and if we were to look at verse 22 in the original language and go through this again, we'd see that in verse 22 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't use the word fruit as a plural, even though we often say fruit with some plural meaning. We don't, oftentimes we don't use the word or put the, the letter S on the, on the end of that and say fruits. But in this context, it is in fact singular. So how is it? that in the verse 19, when it's talking about the acts of the flesh, it's plural, and why is it that Paul uses singular in the second case? And I really want to focus for the moment on verse 19. Why is this? We're talking about, I think, a lifestyle still. All those things that are mentioned here in verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, etc., if we add all those up, they still look like a lifestyle the way that verse 22 looks like a lifestyle. So why just Uh, Why plural here and not singular like in verse 22? And here's what I think might be the reason. It may be it's because there simply is no integration. With the singular life of the Spirit, everything is supposed to kind of come together. But the life lived in the flesh, I think Paul might be saying is, can't be brought together. There's no cohesive whole. There's no sense of direction. There's no way in which you can look at all those things, all that 
debauchery and sinfulness going in all of its different directions, that doesn't come together in anything that we would call wholesome. And maybe we could say, in fact, we could say, that with that kind of lifestyle, there simply is no cohesive life and peace. And so one of the things we need to take seriously when we think about sin and what it does to us is just that the fact that the life of the flesh can never be integrated into a positive, satisfying whole. It is always going to be disintegrating rather than integrating. And a life of disintegration is simply not what God wants for us at all. And there is no peace in a lifestyle like that. The second thing I want you to notice that's kind of interesting is verse 21. This also has to do with the acts of the flesh. And Paul says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I said when I read that earlier that that's a little bit scary. Because the fact is, you and I can look through that list of vices in verse 19 and probably see some things of which we're guilty. I don't know exactly what those would be for you, but I know what they are for me. And I look at verse 19, and then I look at verse 21, and I say, what do you mean that those who live like this can't inherit the kingdom of God? And that puts some doubt, perhaps in someone's mind, about where they stand before God. Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life, or is it not? And is it these kinds of vices that somehow keep me from living the life that God wants me to live to the extent where I no longer have eternal life? Well, I'm not sure that the list needs to be used exactly like that. And one reason is because it's too short. Like when I look at that list and I ask myself the question, where does that list fit with my own life? It's not long enough. There are more sins that I commit than that. And so if we're, doing, uh, if we're considering our salvation based on a list like this, The list needs to be longer, at least in terms of what's going to keep me in or what's going to keep me out. So I'm not sure that Paul in any way really intends for it to be that kind of list. Instead, I would say that something like this is the case. That Paul's point is to say something about lifestyle. This is cohesive in the sense that it's still a lifestyle. It may be a sinful lifestyle, but it's still a lifestyle. The Greek here, in fact, specifically indicates that this cannot be our life's ongoing practice. And that's the point. Those who live like this, when he says that, the Greek word actually says those who practice this way, those who carry on this way. And it's written in a construction that kind of carries out that activity into a whole range and lifestyle of living this way. So the point is, when I sin... My salvation doesn't go to the wayside simply because I've sinned. Ryan, I I know you pretty well, okay? Uh, And I don't know, though, your sins. My guess is Carrie does, at least some of them. She could, in fact, Carrie, would you stand and tell us what they are, please? Carrie has a much better idea of what Ryan's sins are. But just because she knows them and he knows them is no reason for Ryan and Carrie to constantly be questioning Ryan's salvation, because I'm going to guess here that your lifestyle and your commitment to Christ, while at points not being what God wants it to be, while you don't always measure up, is not a lifestyle that takes you away from Christ. This is something that we are in Christ. We are this person 
if we're walking with Jesus. And if we're not, then this can't be who we are if we're walking with the Spirit. And so we need to make sure that we consider the, the lifestyle notion here and not constantly be worrying about your salvation. I know we've mentioned this before, but it's just the case. There are some Christians who are constantly worrying about whether they're in or out. And I don't want us to read this list today and reach the conclusion that we must be out because I've committed one of those sins or two of those sins or five of those sins. If, on the other hand, this is your lifestyle, I would say that's a problem. Because the one who is living this lifestyle is not exemplifying the spiritual life. In fact, the spirit-filled life that God wants us to live before him. And that's so much what the passage is all about. That there is this fleshly nature and this spiritual nature, and God has called us to live out a life filled with the Spirit. And so that's something we need to be careful of. We read this list. Don't think, oh, I've sinned, I've lost my salvation. At the same time, don't ignore the fact that God expects from us righteousness and for us to walk and to live according to the Spirit. Well, a third thing here that we could do with this, the list Paul gives of the works of the flesh is a pretty good summary of humankind without God's influence, without the influence of Christ and the Spirit. In fact, when you read that list, don't you kind of say to yourself, wow, this is, this is where our society seems to be going. There's an, there's an awful lot of this that rings true. Now, what's interesting is that when Paul wrote this, he was living in a culture that was profligate, absolutely sinful. The, the, the lifestyle of the Greeks and the Romans and those who were not where Christ was at all was, a, 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 in many ways, the word disgusting fits their lifestyle. And it doesn't mean that all the philosophers who were virtuous lived all that way, but there's so many people who were just living a life of debauchery. I re- the, the word debauchery just seems to kind of fit that lifestyle. And I wonder if maybe we are in some ways headed back there. As our world moves away from a foundation in Christ, as truth all of a sudden becomes what anybody says it is, as the possibilities are open for Christ to be one of many voices, it seems like maybe we are in some ways headed back toward that kind of existence. A world without God's influence, without the influence of Christ and the Spirit. And I think the, fa- the passage is for that reason instructive for us. And then fourthly, just in terms of verse 19 especially, the big picture here is constantly being reiterated by Paul. He's been doing this throughout the book. Law, flesh versus freedom and spirit. He's clearly saying we need to live according to the freedom of the spirit and not live according to the law and the flesh. And he's been doing this the whole time. You know, same thing happens in Romans chapter 8. Uh, this dichotomy between law and flesh and freedom and spirit. And Paul clearly wants us to choose the second. And so our faith is not comprised of a list of do's and don'ts. In fact, that kind of attitude and concern for that, Paul says, takes you away from grace. It takes you away from Christ. And we need to instead focus on what I think we've been focusing on in this series, and that is the freedom in Jesus that allows us to live the way that God wants us to live. And that's what we then get into 
when we start talking about verse 20 or verse uh, 22 and following. Because what Paul turns to now is the fruit, a fruit-filled life, and the fact that it's a lifestyle made possible by Christ and his spirit. And this is the beautiful thing about this gospel of Paul's where he begins to communicate the truth of Jesus and the truth of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, in a way that allows us now to live free before him and to finally be what God wants us to be. The fruit of the Spirit, if you read verse 22, is all, of course, positive stuff. This is exactly what God wants us to be. And because the Spirit is now working in us, in Jesus... For the first time in the history of humankind, people have an opportunity to actually live the way that God wants them to live. Always before, we've been relatively weak as human beings, not able to be all that God wants us to be. There's been way too much flesh and no power really for transcending who we are as people. But God, through His Spirit, Paul says, fills us with the Spirit to the point where the fruit of the Spirit can finally be part of who we are. Now, again, we, we know this passage, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, and all of that. And because of that, it sometimes becomes a bit trite. It's not trite. Can you imagine if every time someone looked at you, their thought was, that's the most loving person I've ever met. Man, those, those people are constantly filled with joy. The, you know, the, the faithfulness that they have to each other and to their God is amazing. The, the gentleness with which he spoke to me when he found that I wasn't really kind to another was incredible to me. The kindness that he showed in the midst of his rebuke totally blew me away. What if, what if someone could say about you, I have never, ever seen him lose his temper? Ever. If a person was talking about you in that way, I think every one of us would say, wow, I am so grateful that God has worked in me something that allows me to be that kind of person. Wouldn't you? Like, is there anybody here who would say, no, I, you know, make me mean, Lord. I, I want to be unkind. I don't think there's anybody here who would say, well, yeah, I'm unkind, but I'm still a really nice person. But if we could say this about ourselves, if we knew that we had the ability in Jesus to be this kind of person, I think that would be immensely meaningful for us. To know that the Spirit could work that within us. And the point of this morning is, He can. He wants to. The Spirit wants to work in you exactly these things. This kind of fruit filled lifestyle is in fact possible for you in Jesus. And I don't know of another way for a person to live this kind of life. Here's what Paul says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh or the sinful nature with its passions and desires. 
So I don't know what your evil passions are, your evil desires. I don't know what they are that drive you. I don't know why you do lose your temper. I'm not sure what makes you the weak person that you are. Only you know those things. But I can assure you of this, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have actually crucified the flesh or the sinful nature. These things can be in us gone. God is giving us, through his spirit, this kind of power. It is available to those who belong to Christ. We have a new identity in the Holy Spirit that allows us to live this way. So the fruit of the Spirit really is a possibility for a human being. We don't have to talk about this in theoretical terms and then say at the end, well, but nobody's ever going to get there. Nobody can ever do that. Paul seems to be saying exactly the opposite. That life in the Spirit is to be this. And so for those of you who occasionally lose your temper and you think there is no way I am ever going to get a handle on this. You can. That's what Paul says. For those of you who sometimes use unkind speech, There is no reason for you to continue to make an excuse about what happened to you when you were a kid or whatever that leads you now to be the unkind person that you are. Instead of us having excuses, Paul takes all the excuse away and substitutes his spirit and says, this is who, not who you can be, this is who you are. Because the spirit has created this in you. Look at verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And the point is is that if you stand in Christ, you live by the Spirit. You simply do. You have no other option. If you stand in Jesus, you live by the Spirit. Now, will you live with the Spirit? Will you keep in step with the Spirit? Being the person the Spirit has made you, because the Spirit has made you this person. There's no need for us to question, am I saved, am I not saved? What if I did this? What if I didn't do this? Jesus says, we stand in him, filled with the Spirit, enabled, empowered to transcend our humanity and our weakness and all that flesh and become what he wants us to be. We don't and we cannot live well for Christ based on our own ability and our pursuance of a life of rule keeping. We simply can't. We won't. It's not ever going to happen. Instead, we turn our lives over to the Spirit. And He's the one who's responsible for filling. He's the one responsible for empowering. He's the one responsible for enabling. He's the one who allows us to grow. And then He is the one who produces in us His righteousness because he is in us a couple of weeks ago um, we were talking as we have been talking about freedom in Christ and all these beautiful things that Paul wrote and after the sermon I went to the back and I was standing there saying hi to a couple of different people all of a sudden two people approached me from two different directions 
And it just so happened that both of these people had at one time been part of the same church. Uh, and they knew each other, although I don't have the impression that they know each other really well or anything. It's not, they're not, not from the same family or something like that. And they, can't, they both came to me at the same time and they said, it is such a blessing to hear about the freedom that we have in Christ. And I, I was thrilled. Like that meant so much to me. That, that we would feel as though what we talk about is the freedom that we have in Jesus. That we're talking about sinlessness for sure, but not sinlessness because we saw a list and then worked really hard to fulfill it, but because we saw a Savior who then fills us and allows us to be what He wants us to be. And that is gospel. That's the truth of Jesus. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. And I'm so grateful that God has provided us through his spirit that kind of freedom in Christ. Live as people who are free in Jesus. And certainly don't be asking the question all the time, am I in or am I out? Am I in or am I out? The the very fact that you ask the question makes me wonder if you really grasp the beauty and the wonderfulness of what it is that Christ has done for us. Because when we get it, we stop asking that question and we just bask in the beauty of the freedom of Jesus. That's why he died. And that's what he's given us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, praise you, Glorify your name for what it is that we have received in Christ. And help us, God, to to sense, to enjoy, to, to dwell in this freedom that you've created for us. And then help us to live in response to the freedom and the presence of the of the Spirit within us as those who, who live fruitful lives for you. We do want to live in godly ways. And we thank you for the power that enables us to live that way. Help us to look to you. Help us to live in you. We pray through Jesus. Amen.